With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A massive thank you to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode of Lakeside Drive. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for the longest time, you know that we only bring on sponsors products and apps that we actually use and NordVPN is absolutely one of those apps. Now I'm traveling to the UK at the end of this month to go to the British Grand Prix and also to Goodwood Festival of Speed but I want to be keeping up to date with what's going on TV wise here in Australia. The best way for me to do that is to get onto NordVPN and they've got an incredibly special deal for you listener. If you want to grab yourself one of the best VPNs in the world, go to nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive and you can get two years plus four months free, a very, very special deal. If you don't enjoy it for whatever reason, there is a 30-day money-back guarantee locked in, no questions asked. So go to nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive right now to get yourself protected online. G'day, I'm James. Welcome to the Australian Opinion on Formula One here at the Lakeside Drive F1 podcast. In this episode, we preview the randomly placed but always Bernie Eccleston dated Canadian Grand Prix. I'm joined remotely by my friend and yours, Freya Brosma. G'day, mate. How are you going? Very well, thank you. Very, very well. Uh, I am a little over trying to explain to people why we depart Europe to go to Canada <laughs> to then come back to Europe again. And the answer, my friends, is Bernie Eccleston. It is not making a lot of sense. And right at a point in the season where you started to feel like we have a little bit of consistency and kind of momentum in the schedule and then all of a sudden we up and switch continents, um, it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> mm, yeah, classic Bernie vibes all over the place. But that's uh, not really a surprise if you've been following Formula One for as long as we have. Freya, it's been quite a while since we've had a, a proper chat after Miami um, and it feels very disjointed. I've said this to Tommy T, to Campy, to Rob James on Box of Neutrals when I was on their podcast. I'll say it to you, this Formula One season feels incredibly odd. It doesn't feel like we've properly got started and getting into the swing of things. We've had many false starts, the huge amount of races at the beginning and then with the deletion of China from the calendar, the big gap between Australia and then Baku, the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix, of course, being cancelled for, for obvious reasons. And it just hasn't felt like we've we've been racing at all recently either. I, I really enjoyed the Miami Grand Prix. I thought that was quite an interesting race. I think I've, between me and out of maybe not that many listeners agree on that point. Many people didn't think it was all that good. <laughs> but all the racing that we've had since feels like it's been exceptionally samey. The only thing that I can think of was the, the the rain in Monaco maybe providing a little bit of excitement. But more generally, I just don't get this season of Formula One. What we are looking for in a sporting season is consistency 
in terms of knowing that our race is going to happen, when they're going to happen, where they're going to happen, having connections between them in terms of the sport and the storylines that go with them as well. And what we're getting this season is the complete opposite. Like you said, we've had big breaks. We've had even the narrative within a track, right? Everyone wants Miami to be terrible and it wasn't. And then even that kind of throws you off a little bit. And again, people will disagree with me on that and it's fine. And then we expected Monaco to be completely boring and it actually was a little bit interesting then just because of the weather side of things. But that kind of consistency and kind of safety, I suppose, when it comes to the consistency of a season, we're just not getting it. We're literally getting this very disjointed, disconnected um, season of, of Formula One and it, it throws you off a bit. And I know even when <laughs> for anyone who watches as as consistently as we do um, in such a kind of routine way, it does really throw you. You know, you have these couple of weeks where there's no racing and there was meant to be and you start looking for other things to follow or something else. Everything just feels a little bit off kilter with this season as a whole. You mentioned um uh, Imola and just quickly on that one, the helmet that was worn by Leclerc at the Monaco Grand Prix has sold for 306,000 euros, which is helping victims of the, the flooding initially, which has broken the record, um, which was set by I think Senna's uh, helmet, um, which was which was sold off as well. So that'll be great to help relieve the the effort for locals there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're not in a shortage of natural disasters occurring. Obviously, Canada and uh, the wildfires going on there. As we go to Canada this weekend, um, by all accounts, the what is being experienced in Montreal is not what is being experienced in other parts of the country. But of course, um, Australians listening to this know uh, it's no surprise that uh, these things happen and, and we're no strangers to those kinds of both of those events, mm. both flooding and fires too. So, of course, uh, we hope everything is going to go okay in, in both of those regions. Um, great though that Charles is is was able rather to to auction off his helmet and raise money that way. I think that's a, it's a really good use of the um, the F1 Authentics website or whatever was used for that. Uh, let's talk a little bit sort of more broadly uh, and a couple of steps back. Uh, F1 Academy. Let's start there. Uh, they've launched Discover Your Drive. Yeah, so F1 Academy is describing this as a global initiative aimed at increasing the female talent pool in motorsport, both on and off track. So along with their own Instagram, um, Susie Wolf has taken to her personal uh, social media to explain what it's all about. And she's outlined four key pillars. So we've got youth engagement, talent identification, participation and progression and community. So quickly to go through what each of those are. Youth engagement is about inspiring and providing education to the next generation of girls. Talent identification kind of does what it says on the tin. They're out there looking for people who show potential. Uh, Participation and progression, then looking after that talent. So you go and you find them and then we provide development opportunities, um, mentorship, training, coaching, that type of thing. And community, which is about establishing a network to enhance opportunities across motorsport. And As I was thinking about this, that last one about community, I think is almost one of the most important ones because when we've done some profiles and things like that about people who have found their way into a motorsport career who weren't born into, you know, a motorsport family or live in a region where that is a, um, a big sport or a popular sport or went to a university that is associated to 
with with one of the teams, for example, that's one of the biggest barriers that people talk about is going, I just didn't know anyone. You know, how do you get your foot in the door when you don't have one of those pre-existing relationships or connections? So that community thing I think is actually really really important. So it launches this summer in the UK. It'll be in collaboration with Motorsport UK and Team Sport, which runs a bunch of indoor karting locations across the UK. So they'll be out there looking for talent. So if you're a girl between the age of 8 and 12 and they think that you show some potential, you'll be offered development sessions. Everyone who they connect with will be giving um, information packs in terms of all the different career pathways available within motorsport um, and supported to compete at a British indoor karting championship. So it's pretty cool. It's very UK focused for the time being, but I think that's a pretty, um, you know, it's, it's an easy start, right? It's much easier to start initiatives like this off in the UK with such an established network and infrastructure and teams and, um, you know, just all the professionals who are in those locations to support upcoming stars. Um, but I think it will be interesting and we'll all keep an eye on what they then try to achieve on a more international level as well, especially given the very globally diverse nature of their driver lineup. So they'll all be, I think, interested to see what they're doing in places where they come from. Um, But, yeah, really exciting. The good news, though, is that Ferrari has won something. It's not Formula (laughs) One. Why would it be? It's absolutely never going to be Formula One ever again. Uh, Yep, just kind of see it happening. But Le Mans has finished up. Ferrari have won um, Tafosi have something to talk about in a positive sense. Uh, it looked like an absolutely manic, bloody race with all kinds of weather, lots of spins going on, lots of many kinds of flags being waved, unlike the last couple of Formula One races that we've had. Uh, but well done, Ferrari, for winning yeah. something. <laughs> um, round of applause, round of golf, golf clap, round of applause to you and your team at Maranello. And to Italian Jesus. I'm so pleased to see him having some success outside of F1 because he was one of those people who we didn't like to see failing. He seemed like a nice guy, which I know is not enough to keep you in the sport. We can all acknowledge that. But in comparison to some other characters where, while you might not revel in their kind of failure, it also doesn't hurt quite as much, is he seemed like somebody who cared about the team, who was giving his best shot, it was a nice guy, and so it's really nice to see him having some success outside of F1. I did see as soon as Leclerc um, was saying he's going to go watch and support, I was like, oh, come on, give them a chance. Please, please don't jinx this. <laughs> uh, no, it is good news. It is good for Antonio Giovinazzi and the whole team there. Look, I mean, Le Mans was just one of those fantastic events to watch. Um, let us know in the Discord if you were one of the maniacs that stayed up as long as possible to watch <laughs> that uh, in here in Australia. Um, it is a good commitment, on, especially it's a long weekend here in Australia too, so uh, at least in, in Melbourne. So it's a good thing to watch. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about Formula One now, Freya. Let's start on the podcast level or at least on the presenting level. Um, many of you would know that Will Arnett had a podcast very briefly last year because it didn't work. What a surprise. Um, <laughs> called Fast and Loose, which was a wondery podcast. And this is what happens when you try and put, a, I don't know, a comedic person with F1 journalists. Not so good. Uh, and that sort of fell over a little bit. But he, I think, will find his feet a little bit better, Freya, with his co-host for three episodes coming up on ESPN. Yeah. Look, I think it is it is interesting, to your point, James, in terms of the sustainability of a podcast. And I think it is a really good case study to show that you need more than a big name in order to 
make something sustainable and have some success. Sure, this is an example in the podcast space, but I think it goes for everything. You know, you can, there's several series out in the moment and they've got some great cast and it's shocking, you know, and it, you need more <laughs> than, it's a few to come to mind, I won't name names, but um, but you need more than a big name. You know, they've got to be bringing something extra to it, um, whether that is great guests, whether that is a specific agenda when it comes to, I don't know, education, for example. Um, it seemed to lack that purpose. Um, it was just famous guy likes F1 starts a podcast and there wasn't that much more to it. And it kind of, it, it did fizzle out, which I think is interesting. But like you said, he'll be back with Daniel Ricciardo on ESPN2. So if you watch uh, Formula One on ESPN, you can still have your um, standard uh, broadcast on, on ESPN. On ESPN2, you can listen to Will Arnett and Daniel Ricciardo. It's going to be called The Grandstand um, with Daniel Ricciardo and Will Arnett. And as you mentioned, they're going to be doing uh, the upcoming Montreal race. They'll be doing Coda and they'll be doing Las Vegas as well. But this is actually quite interesting. So they're using the same producer as Manning Casts. So Manning Cast is super popular on Monday Night Football. So Peyton and Eli Manning, who are both fairly recently retired um, players, provide commentary. They have guests on and they've got footage of themselves playing that they will retrospectively critique and it is a totally different take on the sport and it's very, very popular. Like you look at the comments on their YouTube and it's like, you know, why ESPN bothers to have a regular Monday night stream is beyond me or came for the football stage for the Manning brothers. Like it's, it is really popular. But I think one thing that comes to mind with this is that the difference in those two is that they're retired, you know, and sure, they don't want to burn their broadcasting bridges, but DR is not, you know, he is still in the game. Um, and so I think while he has always kind of walked that banter line very well in terms of being able to um, make fun of people's you know, little quirks, whatever it might be, without actually making fun of them. He's done that very well just in his natural character, but, you know, he's not going to be quite as, um, I suppose, free with his analysis and critique and things like that because he still has his racing career to think about, you know, this isn't a throw it all out there post-career memoir <laughs> or commentary thing. He's got to, still going to want to think about, you know, who he needs to keep um, good relationships with within this. But what has been um, surprising to me perhaps a little bit is just how much criticism there has been on the decision about his partner in Will Arnett. And it's not so much anti-Will as it is could have been more creative with that decision. Well, I mean, there's so many content creators out there. You spoke with Tony Cowan Brown about this in terms of the creator economy in Formula One. And listener, if you've not let, yet listened to that episode, you should absolutely go and listen to it. It's incredibly insightful. And uh, and she is now a very good friend of the show. And both Freya and I talk to her regularly about things that are going on in the content creator space. And often one of the biggest things is relevance, but also legitimacy and what is the goal here? Mm. So for content creators like us, what is the goal for us? What is the goal for Lakeside Drive? Has that changed over the course of the, the time, you know, on TikTok, if you're creating F1 content and getting 300,000 views per video, what is your intent? Is it to get trackside? Is it to talk to Formula One drivers? Because that that has happened, <laughs> but that's not their intent. <laughs> their intent yeah. is way, it's very off kilter and certainly something that I don't agree with at all. But uh, I think for 
I suppose for Daniel, if he's going to do something like this, he might want to work with someone who he's going to have a bit of a laugh with. And it's very hard to not want to work with Joe Blues as far as I'm concerned. Um, so long as Will is doing magic tricks alongside and tells us something about the banana stand, I think we'll be fine. Um, but you're right. Although it's only three episodes though. So yeah. who knows what could happen next? I think it's a good sort of tester. And it's good to see ESPN doing something yep. um, alongside that. Hey, Fox Sports Australia, any chance you want to do something similar? That would be great. It definitely does speak to the way the US is going with F1 at the moment. It's just another example of them understanding, I think, more so than some other jurisdictions as to how much this, how much money there is in it, for one, how much it's actually growing within, you know, with a followership in the US and also speaks to DR's popularity in America as well. The fact that he is the person who they've pulled up and not any of the other reserve drivers, third drivers, whatever, or even, you know, previous drivers, it's it's DR, right? It just talks to how how loved he is over there. Yeah, it absolutely does. All right, well, let's see what happens with that. Let's talk now, though, about some key changes that have uh, happened within the working side of Formula One. Yes, key changes because James Key has <laughs> terrible left McLaren. James. Look, he was <laughs> he was booted from McLaren. He left McLaren. You know, you know, sinking ship kind of vibes, uh, and he's going to follow Andreas Seidel across to Sauber. Uh, and, and to look in that in that space now, it, lots of people on the Discord. Some saying, "Well, you know, he was the reason why it was all terrible at McLaren." Others saying, "Who can blame him?" Um, but for a long time, he was, you know, sort of touted as this Adrian Newey protege, and the reason why he was picked up by McLaren in, the, in that sort of same sense. But I think probably speaks more sort of broader, I suppose, to, to Formula One and who you actually want to work for, because. If the relationship between James and Andreas was incredibly good, why wouldn't you want to pursue that when he goes to another team? Certainly when he becomes the CEO rather than the team principal. Um, and we've seen that all over the place. Rob Marshall departing Red Bull. Yep. Um, now a lot of the the successes for Aston Martin is because a lot of key people from different teams around the Formula One grid over the last three years have found their their way to Aston Martin. I think it's it is an interesting one because from a culture side, there is one thing absolutely about winning, but there's another thing about enjoying turning up each weekend and having a boss that praises you. And by all accounts, Andreas Seidel is an incredible person to work for. He's incredibly focused, but he's very fair and very supportive and loves on his team incredibly, even when they're not performing. And Daniel will, will tell you that too, no doubt. But I think it's a really interesting space in that regards, him collecting maybe some people that he wants to work with still in Sauber. And the other thing is that Sauber is not entirely new to James Key. So he was their technical director from 2010 to 2012. And during that time, they he was part of the design team for the C31 when they had podiums. So I think like yeah. there was evidence to show that he is somebody who is likely to have a lot of potential in that space. And I also don't think that you can pin the failure is a very strong word, but downfall even of a team and organisation on a single person. So a lot of people would have pointed to him because of his role at McLaren in terms of their poor performance, but it's never one person, right? You've always got a bunch of people sitting around saying, yes, we all agree that this is the direction that we're going to take. And so I don't think it's fair for the kind of, you know, we'll back on good luck to you, Sauber kind of thing um, in light of him joining them. I don't think there's going to be a 
mass exodus. You know, I do think that um, Andreas will be potentially tapping a few people on the shoulder who he enjoyed working with, who he saw potential in, had great ideas, had great work ethic, all of those things. I don't think it's going to be the mass exodus that a few people have kind of questioned if that's if that's what's going to happen. The reason for me in thinking that is that with the signing of obviously and now racing of Oscar Piastri, I think that is very exciting generally for the whole team and there will be a motivation to perform for him, uh, you know, pro- to provide him with a great car and everything else that's extremely motivating and like Norris or not, he is also a very good driver. So I think with that lineup, there will be a lot of excitement amongst the team and two drivers who they really want to um, provide for in, you know, for want of a, a better word. But the other thing is looking at, you know, the signing of Rob Marshall, for example, and that's likely to give some confidence that there is some investment and willingness to seriously improve things. But as I said on last week's podcast, I hope that there is more to it with McLaren's strategy than just people because no one knows an organisation better than the people who are working in it. And if they think that the issues are systemic, a good offer from Andreas is going to be very easy to accept if they don't think that the solutions being put forward by Zach are going to solve the problem, right? So I, like I said, I don't think we're going to um, see a, a big number of people exiting necessarily, but we, we might see a couple more who loved working with Andreas and who he saw potential in. Let's talk about contracts and slight silly season potentials. Now, Lewis Hamilton was touted to be offered this fantastic Ferrari deal only a couple of weeks ago. End of the Spanish Grand Prix, he said that he only needs half an hour with Toto Wolff to sit down and settle out this next contract. Now, it would be interesting if that wasn't the case. Uh, We haven't yet heard one way or the other yet. I'm sure we will, though, in the, uh, the couple of days leading up, probably on Thursday or Friday, leading up to the Canadian Grand Prix. But it is the potential for this mass circus like we saw last year with Seb Vettel. It only takes one to really change, one left of field to change the entire sort of future for many Formula One drivers all up and down the grid, including Mick Schumacher, who was in the car doing a Pirelli test day for Mercedes. Uh, He said he enjoyed being back in the car. Mercedes team were happy enough with him in the car, but... It's interesting, of course, because we talk about Daniel Ricciardo often in terms of being the third driver of Red Bull and where he then will inevitably end up back on the grid if he does do that. We don't talk about Mick in the same way, which I think is very interesting. In fact, I think I'd forgotten really that he was there and because of only uh, a lot of camera angles on Mercedes Garage last weekend because of the Spanish Grand Prix double podium, it's like, oh, yeah, Mick Schumacher, there he is, I'd forgotten, Um, which is terrible really, but uh, not surprising when you you only focus on the front of the grid if you're a Formula One TV director, it seems. Mm. But for Mick, it's it's good news being back in the car in the same way that DR will be in the car in that Red Bull post Silverstone to do similar testing. And the team have been extremely complimentary to him in terms of the hours and the time and the value that he contributes when it comes to doing simulator um, time and all of that type of thing. I think like from my perspective, realistically though, I think we will see Mick back on the grid at some point. I don't think it's going to be in a Mercedes. I just don't think that he has shown enough for one of the top teams, yes, they're having a bit of a kind of down, <laughs> they're having downtime at the moment. Everyone's just figuring <laughs> themselves out, taking a minute. Um, but they are still arguably one of the, you know, obviously top teams, double podium last weekend. Um, 
I don't think it's going to be in that car. I think that Toto will keep him involved. He will keep him his skills fresh and he will keep him really close to the action. Um, I don't think he is kind of going to let him go, but I think we'll see him back on the grid at some point. I don't think it's going to be in a Mercedes. I think it's more likely to be in a Williams, for example, if Logan Sargent um, doesn't start performing or somewhere else. I think he's going to help keep him in the mix, but I just don't think that he's shown enough for Toto as much as I'm sure he really wants to nurture him and see him to be successful, he's still a businessman at the end of the day and has to make tough decisions and I don't see him putting in him in a Mercedes. And if you talk about the difference between him and DR, well, DR's got eight podiums, but like wins behind him plus number of podiums plus has, you know, immeasurable experience in terms of being in Formula One. There's a lot more that he's bringing than Mick Schumacher. So I just don't see that happening personally. We're going to go to a quick break now. We'll be back to preview Canada in just a minute. And we're back. Okay, let's talk about the track specifically, Freya. Now, Canada, although it's a very odd time for it to be in the calendar, again, thanks, Bernie. (laughs) Thanks, not good Bernie. Um, Alonso here last year in the wet put it in P2 and Quali Mm -hmm. in his Alpine uh, so his confidence at this track, I imagine for this year would be pretty high. Um, I love this track to be perfectly honest, because it, it really provides a lot of different types of corners. Of mm-hmm. course, the hairpin, lengthy straights, walls to crash into, just ask K-Mag. Um, so it is a very exciting race to go to. And certainly from a track point of view, it really can potentially even out the playing field a little bit with all of the, well, not for Red Bull, from second onwards. Yeah. But for the mid-pack and this sort of second, third, fourth, it's going to be really interesting. And last year we had wet qualifying, dry race as well. I think it is it can throw some weather up there as well, which does change things significantly as we've seen before. Um, Alonso, as you mentioned last year, did pretty well here, especially from a qualifying perspective. Alonso, just to talk about him for one second, I'm talking about mid-pack. I don't really see them as mid-pack anymore, especially with his just consistency, five podiums from the last seven races. When can we stop saying that being younger is better, given the performance that we are getting from him that we saw from Kimi? Okay, he didn't have quite the return that Alonso is having, but I don't think that's down to driver. I think it's down to the car, um, given what we're seeing from Hamilton still on the podium, like these seriously experienced people, we get so much more from drivers than, you know, just their age. They bring with them the experience and their knowledge of the rule book, as Alonso has shown us. Um, they're adding so much more to teams. So this whole bring in super young drivers, you know, next hot talent, I just think this season is helping to really kind of discount that theory a little bit and say that there is value in developing people and holding on to them as well and letting them kind of show their potential and also to having a break you know it's the same with you know our own careers we're not we're not formula one drivers but having a break from something and coming back to it and then coming back even stronger because you're clearer on your values you know what you want to achieve with that return um you know how you want to contribute to the team and that might be different to before um i just think he is really helping to shift the narrative on younger is better and i think that's a positive thing for the sport in a lot of ways because it means we get to actually gain some wisdom from people who have been around for a bit longer but um 
welcome and thank you for attending my TED Talk on <laughs> ageism <laughs> in Formula One. You do not need to convince me. Uh, but- <laughs> Listeners to this podcast know that I dislike young drivers coming into the sport. So much so we had so many of them come in. We ran out. For the last couple of years, we ran out of young driver talent. Anyway, whatever. Exactly. But no, exactly. But um, no, like you, James, I'm excited about this track. I think it is a great track. It's exciting. It's fast but low downforce. You've got great turns. So it doesn't necessarily lend itself to be a really, you know, kind of team favourite. Like you will still have some cars that will go a bit better here than others, but it's not like Monza, for example, where you go, okay, these three cars are likely to very much excel and above and beyond everybody else. I think it throws up a bit more jeopardy um, for the whole weekend. Um, and it's just, it is a really great track. I was there last year. It's um, such a, it feels like one of the the true racing tracks, I think. Um, it doesn't have a lot of the kind of shine and sparkle of, you know, a Miami, for example, which is absolutely fine. It doesn't need to. Um and I'm very excited to to be back here. But to your point, I just don't see anybody catching Max as long as he is qualifying well. Yeah, let's talk about the expectations, I suppose, of teams for this weekend and for specific drivers. Now, let's let's start at Red Bull because Max is absolutely in control there. Mm. But Sergio Perez really needs to have a different type of weekend this weekend and at least put it in second. Uh, he is in the fastest car on the grid after all. There is now rumours are swirling around when he will be replaced at Red Bull. And I I mean, it's the the dramatisation of this sport, thanks to Drive to Survive <laughs> and a few other things, yeah. on the one hand is fantastic, on the other hand is a bit ridiculous. Although in saying that, Thomas J. Camp would say, well, back in the Back in the day of <laughs> of when they were running V12s. Not enough nose. Um, you know, Not enough nose, James. Uh, if someone didn't perform, they'd replace them immediately. Sorry, Campy. He's going to absolutely hate me when I see him next. Um, but it's true. Old Formula One days, and I'm not even talking that long mm. ago, early thousands, you know, if you weren't performing in a couple of races, you'd be you'd be switched out. And so there is this element of, um, you know, protect feelings at all costs on the one hand. But uh, Helmut Marco's certainly not the person to do that. Um, he even came out and we didn't talk about this before the ad break, but we even came out and said, oh, yeah, well, Christian Horner was going to go to Ferrari. He was offered the Ferrari gig at Canada last year and we had to, I had to have a long, an hour-long conversation with him and offer him a couple of mil more to keep him at Red Bull. Bizarre. Very bizarre. I think with, with Checo, his thing is consistency. Like he seems to have these little short stints of real success where he just seems to have weekends when he is on. And then you have these other weekends for which for whatever reason he just can't pull it together. And whether it's a focus thing, whether it's a preferential thing in terms of tracks and he just has confidence going into his street circuits in comparison to others, um, it is really interesting for him because he just seems to have much lower lows than some of the other drivers. But then he does get these these really high highs. I'm still very on the fence as what's as to what's going to happen um with that seat in the next couple of years but I think it's just it's one of those things that Red Bull is always I've said this before Red Bull is always going to struggle with its second seat because every single person who is a Formula One driver wants to win championships and as long as you are racing alongside Max Verstappen that's kind of not your job you know Mm. and 
And so they're going to always need, you know, they're going to need to have someone who's ready to play second fiddle and no, no one wants to do it. So you're kind of left with the newbies and the ones who are in the outer phases of their career and then that might not result in the podium. So the consistency um, because you're either dealing with raw talent or you're dealing with somebody whose motivation might have shifted, although per our just conversation before about Alonso, that's not necessarily the case. But, yeah, I think they're going to be – they're just always going to struggle with that second seat as long as Max is there. And for him, he just has to play it cool in qualifying because their lap times over a race distance, like no one is coming close. So as long as they're in front and controlling the race, it's kind of theirs to lose. And we've got much more predictable backmarkers now. You know, they're not quite as um, – I don't know, crashy <laughs> as some of our previous ones. So, you know, there it's it's a pretty safe bet, unfortunately, which is feels a bit boring. It does. We do miss Gotifi. Mm. Um he the, the spice of life evidently in Formula One is Nicholas Latifi. Uh yeah, look, I think that's it's all very good points. Um, but it doesn't also help that there is the smiling Australian assassin <laughs> lingering in Red Bull. Um, where everyone is enjoying the content. We we bloody love Sergio and we have done on this podcast for a very long time. We were stoked when he got the Red Bull seat um, and was kept in Formula One and, and we will be stoked to see what happens in, in the future. But there is a lot of pressure on him this weekend, probably more so mm. than who should have the focus of pressure, which is the other Dutchman on the grid, Nick De Vries. Um, Nick's probably stoked that Sergio's not having a great time because Helmut Marco, like the the gaze of um, Sauron, is uh, is not <laughs> upon him anymore. Uh, I think it still is. Like it definitely still is. I think he will see the season out. A lot of people have said, you know, would they bring somebody else in? D obviously being one of the names that was thrown around, which is not going to happen. I don't think. I believe that they will let Nick see the season through and that's kind of all the time that he has to to prove himself really. Um, mm. I think it's unfortunate that because of his experience in other racing categories, um, Formula E for example, the expectation is different because he's not seen as a rookie anymore and you go, well, this is still your first season in Formula 1 but it doesn't seem like he's being granted the same I don't know, kind of benefit of the doubt that some of our other newer drivers have been given. And you go, well, this is still his first season here, right? And I know it was always going to be a bit difficult because he had such a wonderful debut, um, but he doesn't feel like he's getting that same level of flexibility when it comes to expectations in comparison to other rookies. Has he underperformed? Yes. Has he, is he being, is his teammate out driving the car? Yes. Um, does he deserve a second season? I, I I don't know, but it does feel like the expectations are him on him are different. And I kind of am getting a bit sick of the age conversation, as you might be able to tell. Oh, he's, you know, he's 28, he's getting on. Um, yeah, that might not have anything to do with it whatsoever, as much as this is his first year driving a Formula One car and it's one of the worst cars on the grid. Can be that simple. And it is just unfortunate. We've seen people like Brendan Hartley have similar times mm-hmm. in, well, the same team. But uh, <laughs> it will, you know, says a lot probably about the team more than anything else. All right, let's look further towards the front of the grid before we wrap this one up. Um, Aston Martin really under pressure now from Mercedes. Mercedes seem to have found, they've grown the uh, side pods and they've found the pace. 
um, and it is threatening for for Aston Martin. It will be interesting to see in terms of upgrades what they can bring mm. in response to this. Uh, they're now ahead. Mercedes now ahead of Aston Martin the championship standings for the constructors. But Fernando Alonso is still third in the drivers' championship, ahead of Lewis Hamilton and behind Sergio Perez. Now, Aston Martin, this is the home Grand Prix for Lance Stroll. It's the uh, an exciting Grand Prix for Fernando Alonso. And because we've seen only one instance of the Mercedes working, really, <laughs> obviously it was hard to tell in, in Monaco, it was absolutely the case, but nowhere near as fast as Red Bull in Spain. Whether or not it might be track dependent, like we saw Renaults in the past of Daniel Ricciardo driving around Spa, for example, but it is interesting because it, it feels like, and Tommy T said this last time, it feels like Lewis has found his mojo again and, and he's he's starting to drive of the Lewis of old. And they were on the pace here last year and he does love this track. He was in third, Russell in fourth um, at Montreal last year. As you said, very strong showing in Spain with a double podium. And I think the team will, Hamilton will, but I think the team as a whole will carry both confidence and data into this race weekend. And so I think we'll get a pretty strong showing from both George Russell and Lewis Hamilton. And I think what could get interesting now is that if that car is starting to perform, perhaps not to the level of the Red Bulls, obviously, but if they are both competing for podiums, how they start to manage those two drivers because mm. George has obviously very much established himself within that team. He does not see himself as a second driver, nor should he, and I don't think there is a clear split between the two in the same way that we do see in other teams um, with with one driver just, you know, me- like measurably <laughs> better than their, their teammate. So when that starts to become something to manage, that could get quite interesting from a spectator's perspective. But over to Aston Martin, last year I was quite surprised, not necessarily surprised, but maybe I just expected more um, Aston Martin support um, given that it is their kind of home Grand Prix due to Lance Stroll. Um, this year I think you'll see a lot more green, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be in with Lance Stroll's numbers number on it I, to be honest like I know we're coming off the back of of Spain so maybe we have that kind of favorite lens um when we're thinking about Alonso but like I said five podiums from the last seven races with Alonso and Lance is not winning a world title let's be clear he's not going to beat Hamilton he's not going to beat Verstappen he's probably not going to beat Alonso unless you know, as long as Alonso is saying, it's okay, I'll I'll sit behind you, let him know not to worry. Like as if he wants to overtake him, he will. And we've said this before, it's not that he's no good. He does enough, frequently enough, to say that he probably deserves a place on the grid. But as this car gets better and they are competing for constructors championships and whoever is driving it if they're good enough can compete for the drivers championship as well at least you know top three which is currently where um where Alonso is at the end of 2024 as if their board is not going to say can we look at Oscar Piastri or Charles Leclerc not Lando Norris because he'll race McLaren for the rest of his life but and 
and offer them a contract because that's who you need if you want to win a constructors in this in that car. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that team, certainly if they end up towards the front of the grid year on year. Well, that's it for our Canadian Grand Prix preview episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to join part of the conversation around all kinds of racing, including Le Mans, you can uh, jump across to our Discord server, which is in the link below. Freya, a massive thank you to you and a massive thank you to you to listener. We will talk very, very soon, either during or after the Canadian Grand Prix. Le Mans? What am I? Fucking Australian. Le Mans? God. Le Mans Toyota. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.